Hello and welcome back to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I'm John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I'm here today with Graham Davis, news editor. Hello, John. And Mark Robinson, who is our sectors and features editor. Hello, John. How are you doing? Oh, very well, thank you. Very well, good, thanks. good. And how are you? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. It's been a, another busy week. It's Bargain Shares Week, and we'll be speaking to uh, Simon Thompson later about uh, his picks for this year. But at the moment, all eyes are on uh, on Greece. Or uh, more specifically, Greece is the word, word, Yanis Varoufakis, and uh, I'm sorry if I've uh, offended anyone there with my pronunciation, who's been uh, touring Europe this week. In an amazing Uh, leather coat. In an amazing leather coat. And um, yeah, so all eyes are on Greece and uh, it's kind of uh, wreaking a bit of havoc with the markets because nobody's really sure what's going to happen. I mean, Graham, you've you've got a bit on this in the the seven days section. Give give us a bit of background. Yeah, well, um, Yanis Varoufakis arrived. Well, he's done the tour this week, basically. He was in London on, uh, on Tuesday. Meeting George Osborne, and he left his coat there. He as left well, his didn't coat, in, which he, he borrowed. To leave his <laughs> a symbol of goodwill. The jacket in, in, in number eleven Downing Street. Yeah, but Marcus, um, Marcus rose quite sharply on, on Tuesday. Everybody thought, you know, maybe there's going to be some sort of agreement here. Uh, obviously, since then he's then gone on and had a chat with the Germans, and that hasn't gone so mm. well. So, so I guess at first everyone, everyone was so before Syriza got elected everyone mm. was worried that they were going to be this kind of hard line yeah. left-wing party with some very extreme views on on the way uh, mm. that greece should tackle its debt burden uh, with the troika yeah what did you what did you uh, the libertarian marxist. libertarian marxists yeah. well that's that's uh yeah it's very he's he's an mm. academic and mm. you know he's not he's not a stupid guy i mean this is yeah. this, this is not a party to be underestimated yeah so yeah so everyone everyone was very concerned when they got elected mm. and then Less concerned earlier this week when it seemed that they were prepared to be somewhat conciliatory in yes yes in so their so they're, they're not calling for debt debt cancellation which was what what the, a lot of the rhetoric in the in the election campaign was 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 about they they, they he came with, with what appeared to be a an acceptable plan in his opinion anyway for rowing the the debt over into some. Uh, perpetual bonds and all some other other bonds that were linked to uh, economic growth. Yeah. So you know, sharing the burden a little bit, but it was definitely more conciliatory than it than than people had thought it would be. And there's quite a few people who think these uh, th- this solution is quite a good one that these mm-hmm. perpetual bonds and the, the GDP linked bonds are actually quite a good idea. Including, I think it was the Adam Smith Institute who who came out in support of this plan. And I think Yanis uh, Varoufakis was was apparently gobsmacked that he had <laughs> received the blessing of the Adam Smith Institute as a kind of a, a left wing uh, ac- academic yeah um, I mean, in, in economic theory it it, it, it could work yeah but yeah. in in political reality the germans don't seem to want to budge on this and apparently they've had a, a press conference uh, today uh, which the german finance minister wolfgang schaubel and uh, Good pronunciation. thank you yeah, and mr varifakis have um have have well uh, mr schaubel said they'd agreed to disagree and mr varifakis said they hadn't even agreed to disagree so it looks like they're they're poles apart at the moment on that um the, the greeks are sort of just saying they need time and they want some sort of bridging program in place now and the Germans just, they're not budging at the moment by the looks of things. And the, the ECB um, did something with uh, with Greek debt today as well. It, uh, Graham, have, have, I, have I thrown you with this one? Um, no, they've given a, direct, a directive to the hmm. banks, haven't they? They can't be used as collateral, yeah. basically, yeah. Yeah. Which, which raises great concerns over their ability to, to raise money. Well, exactly, and their, their, their ability to make short-term funding sort of commitments, yeah. state hmm. funding commitments. Hmm. So, uh, so yeah, ECB turning the screw, which um, which isn't very helpful. 
And, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people out there are saying, well, you know, why not, why not give them a, a bit of time? Yeah. Um, yeah, this plan doesn't seem that ludicrous. Greece has some crippling problems to overcome. And I, I before we came into the, uh, to the studio, I thought I'm going to have a quick peek at unemployment rates across Europe, mm. um, for one thing. Um, and this is something that Greece topped the bill on. Mm. Uh, have a guess what the, the unemployment rate in Greece is. Don't, get, don't look at my piece of paper. I can't read your paper, paper. from here, John. Um, I'd say something in the region of 25.3%. I'd go 32. It's 25.7%. Well oh. done, Robbo. Your eyesight isn't fading. <laughs> 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 Well, I presume that that's general unemployment. That isn't a point to youth unemployment. As well. yeah. I read a stat that youth unemployment in in Greece was sixty uh, percent. Good lord, sixty percent. Mm. Um, so you know, it's not that ludicrous that that someone in Greece wants to do something that's outside of the economic conventions that yeah. seem to have. have well, the, performed the, the in point Europe. is all well, of the ECB are playing hardball, which it seems that they are doing. I mean, this is going to give support to um, um, other movements throughout uh, Europe. We've, we've we noted some sort of fairly large-scale public demonstrations in Madrid this week as well. Yeah, yep. so that's in support of Podemos. Podemos. Uh, uh, I don't know what the pronunciation of that is like. But again, it's another, another left-wing party headed by a left-wing academic, um, anti-austerity. Um, and, you know, actually, Spain has the second highest unemployment in Europe. Can you guess what that is? <laughs> Um, uh, some, something less than, say, 25.6%. Well done, Robert. You're on fire today. It's 23.9%. So, you know, these are countries grappling with some serious serious problems. painful problems, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And problems that affect the youth more, as you rightly pointed out, Mark, the youth more than the rest of the population. And, you know, whilst it's easy to point the finger at Greece and say, well, you know, they've had years of profiglacy and, you know, overspending and... You know, it's not the generation of yesterday that's going to suffer. It's the generation mm. of tomorrow. And, I, you know, I find it quite extraordinary that, that, uh, yeah. that for politics, we are willing to heap misery on these countries. I have to say that's they, a personal <coughs> view. That's not a, that's not a magazine. And view. they have had years of misery now. The, yes. The last four yeah. or five years. So, um, Absolutely. We shall see. I mean, the Ger- yes, who knows? The Germans look like they don't want to give an inch at the moment, but they may just have to. Mm. at some point mm. absolutely absolutely well so uh, you know I mean, my, my editorial actually covers covers this subject mm. my, my view is I think uh, you know certainly as markets were bounding ahead uh, earlier this week my view was well they're, they're kind of underestimating the uh, yeah. the, 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 the potential uh, disruption that uh, that this could cause as as you know the the success or failure of the negotiations pan out, and I think some people are even talking about a, a Greek exit from uh, mm. from the euro at some point, and some people are even talking about a German exit mm. <laughs> at the other extreme. That, yeah. Uh, well, there does. I mean, you know, markets are still treating this relatively complacently. I think. Yeah, absolutely. So let's um, let's come back to Greece uh, in a week or so when we know uh, yeah. a little bit more what's going to happen. It's not going to go there. away. Um, what else? What else has been going on this week, Graham? Commodities and oil continue to sort of dominate as well. Uh, we've had a bit of a, a rebound in the oil price, I think, since the beginning of the year. It, I think it's dropped off again the yeah, last day put, or so. But yeah, it, it put on about, today, about $8 in, mm, in a, about a week or so. I yeah, think. I mean, it's, it's had a quite, quite a dramatic uh, recovery. This may be, some people are suggesting it, 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 it could, could signal the bottom. It might just be short covering, you know, but I think a lot of the, 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 the weight of selling has gone out of it for the time. Yeah, being. and there's some conciliatory statements coming out of Riyadh as well, mm. which helped to sort of uh, calm markets a bit. And have, have there been any um, moves? Well, there's been some more moves um, on production and CapEx. We've had a couple of the majors reporting this week that there's going to be a, a, you know, more cuts to, to capital spending in the in the current year. Well, yeah, I mean, this is something that everyone had been expecting, really. But um, 
uh, you know, it, it was a, it was quite an interesting um, through the results that I was looking at this week because rather than the capex question and everyone sort and who of and who who was reporting this week just out of interest oh, well, the, we well we had uh, BP and we got BG and Shell in, in the magazine mm. as well yep. because these these tend to report early in the cycle as well so uh, and they uh, provide a bit of a point and I think um, I think Chevron uh, have announced as well over in the states. Uh, and as I say, the the, the moves on, on, on the capex um, uh, weren't any great surprise. And in fact, a lot of these uh, a lot of these um, sort of strategies have been in place for some time now. But the interesting thing, you know, when I was looking at it this week with BP and Shell as well, is um, the paucity of their um, reserves replacement ratio. Uh, because it's a, it's a factor as well why they're cutting back on these capital and ex- exploration budgets and selling off uh, not supposedly non-core assets. Uh, they're not replenishing their sort of rever- uh, reserve base, and, and that's fine for a year or two, but it's obviously unsustainable o- over the long run. And they were rather low this year as well. I think both of them in, in the, low, the low 60s. I might be wrong on that, but it was something... The three-year average was about 62%, and, of course, that is unsustainable over a, a longer period of time. So it would be interesting to see what happens over the coming months. My guess is that there's going to be a lot of uh, cheap oil and gas assets out there. So rather than go down the exploration route, the standard exploration appraisal route, we're going to see a lot of these uh, big super majors, even though they're looking after their uh, their, their capital flows, but you, you see them coming into the market for uh, smaller uh, companies that are already in production and some fields that are moving towards production as well. Because a bit of consolidation coming in. So yeah, I, I've got no doubt about it. I'm going, to come, I'm going to cover this in the magazine in coming weeks as well, but it, it's quite interesting. It's almost like a sort of perfect conditions. I mean, I reiterate the point that they, they are the capital discipline is uh, their top priority at the moment, uh, but there's going to be some sort of knockdown, distressed assets out there, and so we're going to see some action on that. I think. Okay, and yeah, you know, without that new production, new exploration coming coming on, they have to. Your, try- your your overall supply is not growing as fast as it as it otherwise would be. Well, that's right, which uh, is supportive of the price, presumably. Well, it will be over the long term. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's it's like any other market; it self corrects after a time. But obviously, with oil and gas markets, it's like you know turning around the proverbial super tanker. There, there was an interesting point in uh, BP's announcement this week as well, is that um, uh, industry analysts uh, had been expecting uh, uh, a loss linked to or a poorer result linked to its Rosneft to stake, which is near twenty percent. In the event, uh, I haven't got the figure in front of me, but I think it was a $470 million uh, profit. Uh, that's, um, that's a preliminary figure, though. The BP's manager put this as a preliminary figure, and there was a change to the way in which uh, Rosneft uh, looks at their overseas assets as well. So come audit, that may no longer be the case. So... Uh, We've um, we've we had on a sell for a while because of the uncertainties uncertainties over the, the Rosneft stake and of course the open ended sort of uh, fine uh, linked to uh, the Macondo well well it's not exactly open ended now but it's still uh, hasn't been defined really but we've kept we're still slightly wary over this because we we, we wouldn't be surprised at some point in the future that that, uh, that there there might be sort of further bad news on that that Russian stake from Russia hmm. yeah. You would have, you would imagine Rosneft's not in a great time of it. Yeah, well, exactly. There's no sign of, of any sort of improvement in Russia's uh, situation either. Well, that's right, but I, but you know, as, as ever, the, the shares are getting some support because you look at it now and they've and it's got a yield of five, uh, nearly five and a half percent at the moment. Uh, both. 
BP and Shell are pretty cheap in relation to the sector as well. But uh, um, in you, contrast, you're, you're, we're buyers of Shell. We are buyers of Shell, but that's it's purely because we think that they're uh, long ter- long term. Their their dividend is it's got better coverage for their dividend long term. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's a, it's a sort of an income play, really. Um, you could you, you know we could make a, a strong case for BP as well, but it would be errant to sort of uh, to, to put them on a buy at the moment because there's just so much uh, uncertainty. You know, our, our readers are, are, are intelligent enough to make up their own minds in this regard, but. Um, Certainly, we think the uncertainties outweigh the um, the positives of the stock at the present time. Mm, we don't. We don't seem to. I mean, with Greece dominating the, the headlines, you know, um, we haven't been looking in the direction of Ukraine quite so much in the last uh, the last few weeks. But but I'm I'm pretty sure that that situation there is not getting any oh, better. It appears to be escalating. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The well, there's a, a mission uh, Angela Merkel and uh, Francois Hollande of. They're off to Moscow, aren't they? They're off to Moscow to see Mm. the big man. See what happens there. So, yeah, lots of risk mounting. But markets almost hit a record high this week, despite this. They were heading that way on Tuesday. It's calmed calmed down a little bit since then. uh, Okay, so, I mean, you've also been talking this week, uh, Mark, you you wrote the news spotlight this week, uh, which is again about commodities. Um, And, uh, you know, theme uh, of this podcast in the past few weeks has been that uh, falling commodity prices, falling oil prices can be good for the economy. Um, by injecting a you know a little bit of uh, competitiveness into things, you know your your expenditure goes down as a as a, as a you know a household or a or a producer of of, uh, of you know manufactured goods. Um, you're not so sure. Well, I mean, there's plenty of evidence, historical evidence, to suggest this is the case. When we've had you know uh, quite a steep fall in oil prices before, there, there seems to be a broader economic benefit. But it's and and it does take a, a little while to filter through into the wider economy. But we've we haven't seen a great deal yet. Certainly not in Europe as well. Uh, and uh, I think this is brought home by um, uh, the case of Germany, Europe's most important economy, which is now in sort of a deflationary mode. And this apparently was all linked to energy prices, which again were, were linked to oil prices there, um, which have reduced household costs there by about 9% or so. And, and so we, we're not seeing that sort of action. And, and, and furthermore, I think there's, there's sort of other uh, implications. We, I think we did mention... Uh, in one of the other podcasts, that the World Bank had sort of uh, made a forecast for this year that the the major nine commodity uh, groupings will uh, contract again this year, uh, according to them, which is is sort of a very unusual occurrence. Um, And there's, um, you know, there's some evidence that, you know, investors have sort of got in the market in the early part of this year. But... um, In commodities... Well, yes, there's some forward-dated commodities, but, I mean, it might be a short-run thing. We've seen a little bounce in the oil price this week. Copper, copper bounced a bit this week, didn't it? Yes, it did. It did. But, I mean, you know, we've got to see these things over the long run. I make the point in this piece, the main point of the article anyway, was saying that there are sort of unforeseen risks. And, of course, it's been highlighted in the last couple of months or so by Standard Chartered, who's taken a fairly hefty impairment on their books linked to their commodity exposure. And I looked at it a little bit closely, and apparently there are any number of like large-scale banks in Asia that that have significant exposure in this regard. And, of course, if markets were to keep on deteriorating, then at some point these these debts may 
make crystalline, you know. Mm. Actually, um, we've got a John Barron's Investment Trust portfolio in the magazine this week uh, amongst uh, a bumper crop of features. I think there's four this week for the for the first time ever, I mm. think, four main features. Um, John has cut um, some of his exposure to biotech um, after a very good run, but he's, he's, uh, he's topped up uh, a couple of his uh, commodity-related investment trust holdings. I mean, he hasn't explained why this month. Um, uh, that is next month's column, but but you know this this echoes something we were talking about last week that there are some people who are starting to think we might have seen the worst of uh, of the commodities sector. Well, yeah, I, I made a point a couple of weeks ago about uh, I guess it's uh, situational as well with a lot of commodities. If you, I, I was making the point about uh, copper markets at the moment, and uh, that's quite an interesting one as well because it's all linked to the fact that we don't really have uh, a clear understanding of inter- inventory levels in China. And there's uh, there's other sort of uh, elements. We never have. We never have. Mm. We never have. Uh, and and yet I keep on looking out for official statistics from Beijing <laughs> as well. Uh, it's situational, and there are certain markets I think like copper over the long run, which we're actually quite uh, positive on. Um, but you know we'll have to take it in a case by case basis as well. Okay, well let's have a look at the chart of the week this week, which is the um, the Baltic Dry Index, and we used to talk about it's this quite a lot. Favorite, yeah. It is an old favorite. We used to talk about this quite a lot um, in the wake of the uh, banking collapse in two thousand and eight. Mm. Um, we we haven't talked about it so much recently, but this week's chart is uh, it warrants a mention because it's looking pretty ugly. Yes, um, which of you guys put this together? It was uh, you, was it, Mark? It was, there was a joint, it was a joint, a joint effort, effort, you know. Mm. But um, yeah, sixty percent slump in the past three months. Baltic Dry Index is it's basically a shipping index for shipping. It's bulk commodities. Bulk commodities. Yeah. yeah. So we're looking at iron ore, coal, these type yeah. of things. So that kind of ties in with what we've just been talking about in mm. terms of uh, a slump in commodity demand. And a good good lead indicator lead indicator of global trade. You Ab- absolutely. But but the bigger worry is that this is telling us something about the future. Something the future. And, yeah, exactly. A lead. Yeah. And. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah. Well, well it, what do we say here? It is at its lowest since 1986. That's right. And, and there, I, I had another quote here from the uh, clerks and the shipbroker that was saying that uh, seaborne trade of uh, coal and iron ore into China will be um, the, the growth rate will be six percent this year, but that's coming down from a, a growth rate of eight point seven percent, and that translates into huge seaborne tonnage. Mm. And there's got to be some sort of implication there. Mm. Yeah. No wonder the Aussies cut their interest rates this week. This is right. This is right. In fact, where my father lives uh, in Newcastle, he sees all those sort of uh, tankers lining up to take the uh, the thermal coal away. And uh, he's even mentioned to me that the numbers are down. Scandal there you go. Nice, nice bit of scuttlebutt yes. there, all the way from Australia. Fantastic. Fantastic. And of course, we, we spoke uh, a couple of weeks back about some Chinese GDP figures, which were starting to slow. Hmm. But I but I read this week, uh, and I can't remember who it was that said it, but there are there are mounting concerns that that Chinese growth could slump a bit more quickly than than perhaps we're uh, well the we're Chinese forecasting at the moment. Well, the Chinese central bank has just today announced that it's reduced the uh, capital r- ratio requirement for the banks there by half a percent. That doesn't sound an awful lot, but it equates uh, to something like eighty one billion US, hmm. uh, and sort of. It's it's one of the uh, it's one of the standard sort of, of monetary levers, yeah. so uh, it, it shows that they're worried as well. Hmm. And, and you look and you look at the lending, the internal sort of lending figures for China. This could sort of um, again link to uh, commodity price weakness. Uh, this could potentially uh, dry up as a result hmm. of it. So I mean, you know, we're not out of the woods. No, we're certainly not. But nevertheless, Marcus. 
March higher. Onwards and upwards. <laughs> onwards and upwards. Indeed. Onwards and upwards. Um, I mean, there's been other, some other interesting stories this week. Um, we've got a, a big feature on Apple um, that's written by uh, Theron Mohammed, um, which I think we we introed last week. Mentioned that we've got yes. to write this. Yeah. Um, but there's something I noticed in seven days here, Graham. Um, it's issuing some bonds. Is this yeah, right? It's borrowing to return money to investors. Well, it has to do that because it's the only way it could get the money back into the US. Yes, because because there's another piece in seven days there uh, on, on on President Obama's uh, plans to tax uh, overseas profits. Uh, but yes, no Apple. Apple's taken advantage of its of its soaring reputation at the moment and demand for for exposure by by um by its launched six point five billion dollar bond issue, mm. which was massively oversubscribed. Uh, at, 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 you know, low rates. I don't. Do you know what? They're not that low. I think they're pretty generous. I mean, considering we're talking about Apple, mm-hmm. you know, one point six percent, which is the lowest rate. That's not bad. No, we saw some historical corporate borrowing costs. They're pretty low. They're pretty but you're low. right. So, so we saw contrast. a Nestle corporate bond this week slipping into negative territory. Mm. Yeah, and there's certainly some government bonds that are yeah, now we're talking in about Finland, Finland being, being one of them. Territory, yes. yeah. um, the European bond market. Well, is, Germany is uh, five-year bonds, didn't they? Mm. Yeah, they're, they're, short, they're short-dated. Mm. They're all short-dated yeah. bonds. And I guess that's partly in anticipation of uh, bond buying, which is going to be coming yeah. from the ECB very shortly. Next and month. there's a bit of arbitrage to be uh, to mm. be had there. Mm. Um, but no, I read a piece in the FT this morning. Um, you know, we, We've been in a ZERP world, zero interest rate policy world. We're now in a NERP world, which is mm. uh, <laughs> tremendous. Um, but not so tremendous if you're um, if you're uh, looking for income, no. uh, if you're a pension fund manager trying to match your liabilities, uh, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty tough out there. Actually, speaking of income, in, in this week's sector focus, uh, Emma Powell, one of our new writers, has highlighted some of the benefits of. Uh, the water utilities, uh, because Offrod have come through with their sort of determinations and they're broadly favourable. And so these these uh, companies have done particularly well over the last year. They've got a little bit of momentum, and yet they're still sort of yielding around about 4.5% as well. So it's a, a, a low-risk option for investors, really. Mm, and, they've, and they've been good performers, um, share-price-wise, for, for a while. I mean, they've, they've beat the market quite comfortably last, over last the last few months. Last yeah, last they, year. They, they've, they've been strong. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I mean, the, the the principal risk factor attached to them is is the is the uh, is the role of the regulator and government uh, sort of intervention as well. Uh, but uh, now this has been clarified. Uh, I think a lot of our readers might be looking at them from an in- income perspective, certainly. And I think there's an M and A angle on that story as well. Yes, yes. Apparently, there's uh, you know there's been interest in the part in the past as well. And of course, w- what the d- determinations do they give some clarity in terms of the uh, uh, potential distribution and also the uh, the leverage for these companies uh, as well. So once this has been clarified, you know, um, we might see some interest from, uh, well, more from private equity as ever, uh, but also uh, different types of utilities from abroad, sovereign wealth funds perhaps. And sovereign wealth funds and pension funds have... Uh, and pension funds also, yeah. ...before, haven't they? Yep. Mm. Okay. Um and then we've got the stock screen as well. While we're on the subject of income, again, this is, I mean, it's, Algie publishes this one once a year. He calls it his inf- inflation buster uh, screen. But given that there is no inflation, mm. <laughs> it doesn't have to work very hard. But it's it's actually quite a good performer. And, and this year has thrown up a few uh, um, dividend growers, which, which we like. You know, it's often been said that you shouldn't just chase pure yield. You should chase um, companies that are, are increasing their dividends. So you know, even if it looks quite, quite low uh, to start with, as long as that there is the scope to increase it quite quickly, that's perhaps what you should be looking out for. So, uh, yep, have a look at that. Interesting stuff. Um, some results starting to pick up this week as well. 
Um, uh, and I know that uh, uh, there's one of my favourites in there, which uh, has had quite a good week, Ocado. Yes. Mm. yes. Yeah, well who done. would have thought? Who would have thought? Um, yeah, who would have thought? Uh, finally made a profit. That it's finally made a profit after 15 years? 15 years. Um, my view would be that it only made a profit because it... it, it put together quite a favourable deal with Morrison's um, but there you go that's just my view uh, I have I've always been a uh, somewhat of a bear on this company so uh, so um, yeah mm. perhaps I shouldn't be listened to when it comes to a card <laughs> but you see now, now, now they're profitable we do have a uh, PE ratio on that company and what's the PE ratio uh, they're now trading on over 200 times this year's earnings Ooh, bargain and, and forward PE ratio of 345 times absolute bargain so yeah make of that what you will but yeah. you know it's, it's, it's well you could say it's early days but as you said 15 years to make a profit and Mark you've recently uh, you've recently got yourself on the booze haven't you I have got myself <laughs> on the booze, uh, as it happens. You're uh, covering the beverages sector. Exactly. Uh, uh, poor old Julia Bradshaw is, is so weighed down by her lot that uh, this has been slung in my direction. There's only uh, a few players in there, of course, but I, I looked at uh, Diageo this week, who's sort of, uh, sort of the world's uh, biggest spirits fund. Fund? Fund? Fund. Um, uh, as usual, it was, a, it was a fairly decent set of results, but there's sort of uh, regional weakness slipping in here. There's uh, spirit sales for some of their, their chief brands uh, down in uh, North America as well. Plus, there's been a fall away in their growth markets in China as well, with uh, brands like uh, Johnny Walker down by about uh, 15%, I think. I think but, and that's, that's to do with this uh, clampdown on uh, luxury gift giving, partly? That's, yeah, part. it's Partly to do, and certainly in the case of China, but in America, I think, uh, from what I was looking at anyway, it, it seems there's been a change in consumer taste there. Um, people are moving away from clear spirits on, on onto darker spirits and, and specialist uh, distillations as well. Plenty of our readers will, will with, with a sort of decent issue, 2.7%, plenty of people will continue to hold it within their uh, portfolios. It's a sort of a buy and forget sort of stock in many respects absolutely absolutely it's got good brands and there are certainly a lot of fund managers out there who you know nick train is is, is one of them who who you know he espouses holding on to to companies with strong strong brands forever basically it's not a bad it's not a bad strategy okay well uh that's probably enough from the magazine this week um now i think it's uh, a good time to uh, to have a chat with simon thompson about this year's uh, much anticipated bargain shares portfolio hello simon hello john how are you very, very well, thank you. Good, good. So, uh, yeah, you've had uh, you've been working very hard uh, over the last. Well, it must have taken you ages to uh, to research this because uh, it took me a while to read it. Uh, we've managed to squeeze it into twelve pages of the magazine, um, which is a huge feature. Um, yeah, how long did it take you? It, it took me about three and a half weeks, John, to do. Um, it's about ten thousand words in total. Wow, um, I've covered twenty twenty companies, um, created a portfolio of 2015 bargain shares, and that's about 7,000 words for that part of the feature. So it's, it's, it's a huge amount of research. Indeed. I mean, we have to keep this thing under lock and key as well because everybody uh, awaits the, uh, the, 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 bargain, the annual bargain shares with, uh, with bated breath. Um, take Simon, first of all, um, tell us how it works. What, what, what are the bargain shares? What, what's the uh, strategy you're using here? It's actually very simple, John. It's a balance sheet approach to investing. All I'm looking for companies with a net current assets, less all liabilities, exceeds the market cap of the company. It's literally that simple. And um, I've been doing this for the best part of 16 years. And in 12 of those 16 years, the portfolio has actually beaten the market. Um, and actually, if you, you t- 
held to the shares for the first 12 months after each portfolio is actually produced, the average return is about 22%. I made it, I thought you'd actually written 22.7%. You're rounding down, so I'm, I'm, right, I'm rounding, rounding down. down. <laughs> doing yourself out of that, that crucial 0.7. Um, I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty impressive. Um, I mean, it's beaten the market, you know, as you say, quite, quite substantially um, in most years that you've run it. Last year was a bit tough. Last year was very tough, simply because the AIM index um, fell round about 19% during the 12-month holding period, mm. and the portfolio shares is all small-cap stocks, or a large percentage of them were small-cap stocks. Um, so there's basically no hiding. Um, I also made, um, perhaps in hindsight, not the best decision to actually invest in some Chinese companies, given the sentiment towards aim-listed Chinese companies has been pretty negative over the last 12 months. Mm. Um, but I think the thing worth bearing in mind is not necessarily the years when the portfolio makes these great returns, but the years when it doesn't, it actually does pay to hold on. Uh, for example, in 2011, when the portfolio underperformed that year, um, it's actually gone on to rise quite substantially since. And if you're actually holding that portfolio now... So just a buy and hold strategy, you're actually up over 51%. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, is, is there a way that you would suggest people play this? Do you buy the entire portfolio? I mean, is it, is it something that, that you would expect people to play within a, within a, a discrete one-year time frame? Or, you know, w- would you suggest that people run them for the long term? Um, or do you t- treat it on a case-by-case basis? I, I, I take it on a case-by-case basis. I mean, during the great years, some of the gains have been stupendous and some of the shares I've actually researched and um, included. And it's obviously tempting to take profits when a share goes up 100 or 200%, which some of the companies have. Um, but equally, when you're actually buying a portfolio, and there's 10 stocks in the 2015 bargain share portfolio, when you're actually buying a portfolio, you can actually take the hit on a a small number of losses because the gains on the others will actually compensate for it. So, so my advice to readers is to actually run it as a portfolio, portfolio, and buy a fair number of the shares, and if you can, buy all of them. Mm. And then keep going if if the uh, the fundamentals, if the the investment case still stacks up at the end of the the holding period. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And and you do. I mean, you keep us updated on the portfolio throughout the year. So you know, if anything happens, I mean, for example, this year, you know, when when we did start to see some weakness in some of the the, the Chinese companies you mentioned, you know, you, you you acted reasonably quickly there to, uh, to to limit some of the damage. Um, I, I did. I mean, the, the the point that readers should bear in mind is that is portfolio is for a twelve month holding period, um, but I will throughout the year update each and every company on a regular basis so at least readers can actually keep in, in contact with what's happening to those specific companies. Mm, absolutely. Um, so, so one question, you know, markets have had, um, well, not, not so much small cap markets, but certainly markets generally have had a good run. Have you, have you found it more difficult to find um, what you would determine as bargain shares in, in, you know, this year? I find it easier this year than last year simply because the small cap stocks um, took such a big hit over the last 12 months. Um, so out of the companies, I'm looking at the list at the moment of the um, 10 um, companies I've chosen for this year's portfolio. Um, there's one with a market capitalization of 435 million, another 144 million, um, another around about 200 million. But the rest of the companies 
generally a south of 100 million market cap, so focused on the smaller end of the market. Um, but the, these are liquid companies, so you can buy them quite easily. Um, but no, I, to answer your question, I've, I've actually found it easier this year. That's good. So plenty of choice. I mean, presumably you've had to whittle some out. Um, you, you've whittled it down. It looks like a pretty, pretty solid portfolio to me. Um, certainly no Chinese companies in there this year, Chinese aim-listed companies. Uh, no, all, all these companies are UK companies, um, UK-listed, UK head office. Um, yes, some have some overseas exposure. Uh, there's an engineer in there um, that does... Um, does have a number of large multinational companies with overseas operations as clients. Yeah. Uh, but the vast majority of these companies are UK-based companies, um, so should benefit from the dynamics of the UK economy, which is still pretty strong. We're still in recovery mode, and you know GDP growth in the UK last year was was you know the highest in the G7, um, and it's still expected to be pretty pretty good this year. So. You've got the domestic economic recovery behind a number of these companies offering a pretty good tailwind. Um, but yes, they, they do have some overseas exposure for some of them, um, which is actually helpful as well, given what we've seen with the currency effects with uh, the US dollar against sterling. So I've taken a macro view on some of the stocks I've actually selected by looking at the currency markets and also other overseas economies and seeing where I think value can be added to these companies and lead to earnings upgrade cycles as the year progresses. Mm. I know something else as well. I mean, you know, so nine of the 10 are, are from AIM. But some of you know some of these companies they, they you know AIM has a reputation as being a, a place for risky young companies. But some some of the companies you've chosen this year have been around for quite some time. Oh, absolutely, I, I've got companies that have been around for over 100, 150 years for some of them. Um, although they are actually listed on the AIM market, so that was the decision of the board of the companies to actually move from the main board to the AIM, AIM market um, a few years ago. Um, but no, these, these are these are solid companies um, without without any doubt and I'm, I'm really happy with the way this portfolio has been put together and I'm actually quite excited by the prospects over the next 12 months. Absolutely, I quite agree. Looks looks great. Okay, Simon, well, that's uh, that's that's brilliant. Thanks for uh, for talking to us. We won't give away the uh, the ten uh, just yet. Um, if you want to find out what the bargain shares are, you'll have to uh, you'll have to either subscribe or head out to the uh, to the shops to buy them. But uh, anyway, thank you, Simon, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Great, thank you, John. Okay, so uh, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you very much for, for joining us all again. Thanks to Graham and thanks to Mark for their valuable contributions today and for Simon, of course, for uh, dialing in from sunny Kent to talk through the bargain shares portfolio. There's plenty more in the magazine, despite the fact that it's, uh, it's 12 pages of it are filled up with bargain shares. As I said, there's, there's four features. We've got uh, even more features throughout the, uh, the, the funds and uh, your money section. So fantastic value this week. £4.50, all good news agents. Thanks again and speak soon. Bye-bye. 
a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.